0: let <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should watch today's show. Dogecoin doubles in price as liquidations surge. We'll discuss the impact of the Elon Musk effect. Plus a deep dive into Chainlink and the world of oracles. Co-founder Sergei Nazarov will join us live. Stay tuned for that. I'm Nico Bruga, Ash Bennington is back with us. How's it going Ash? Oh, it's going great, man. I'm, I'm still a little bit of sick.
2: Uh, So apologies in advance for my voice. Uh, But listen, we got Sergei Nazarov here today. You take a couple of Tylenol, you suck it up, and you show up for the show.
1: Well, thank you so much for uh, sucking it up and joining us, Ash. I have to say, your voice is giving me serious 40s, 50s, noir vibes, Humphrey Bogart, Robert Mitchum. So (laughs) if nothing else, you sound like a badass this morning. I think I got the Robert Mitchum bags under my eyes today, too. Uh, don't wait all. Oh, it's almost the end of the year and it's been a long one in crypto. But we got an exciting uh, week on the show ahead of us. Hopefully that will get everybody excited. We've got some stellar guests lined up. You can see them on this graphic that's on screen now. But before we start, an important announcement. Today is the final day of our crash campaign. We have crashed the prices of Real Vision subscriptions. If you wanna understand what's happening in the wider markets, check it out. We believe the next few months will determine the next few years, and to that effect, we have added new shows to help you make sense of it all. A subscription to Real Vision Essential is just $99 a year, and a subscription to the Plus tier is just $400 a year. And you want to know even more about crypto? Well, we've got you covered with our Pro Crypto tier. You can get two years access for the price of one. Scan that QR code at the bottom or head to realvision.com forward slash crash pricing to learn more. All right, with that said, let's jump into the latest price action. Bitcoin has consolidated above the $20,000 mark. It was closing in on 21,000 but suffered a steep drop in the past hour or so. The largest cryptocurrency is down in the past 24 hours. Ash, how's Ethereum looking?
2: Well, we're back about 1500 on ETH. Looks like about $1,573 right now. On a 24-hour basis, ETH is down more uh, in percentage terms than Bitcoin is. But over the past week, ETH's gains have dwarfed Bitcoin gains. ETH has gone up some 15%. That's 15% in the last seven days compared to just 5%
1: rise for Bitcoin, Nico thank you for that ash and i'm also keeping an eye on link the native token of chainlink the oracle service provider surged to the surged over the weekend to $8 a coin data provider sentiment says the link whale transactions touched a four month high it says saturday saw 33 different link transactions exceeding a value of $1 million each. We'll speak with co-founder Sergey Nazarov shortly. And one more token we're looking at is Dogecoin. It's up again on a 24-hour basis. Earlier, it was one of the worst performers on market cap on a 24-hour basis. That's a big surge over the weekends. Lots of volatility over there, which brings us to our top story today. The popular mean cryptocurrency Dogecoin doubled in price from seven cents to 14 cents before falling. Its market cap surged to more than $15 billion and it is now taking it above Cardano and Solana in terms of market cap. Indeed, according to the data from Into the Block, 62% of Doge holders are now in profit from where they initially purchased the token. Ash, it's quite likely the Elon effect is at play again. Lots of enthusiasm among Doge investors after Elon Musk's Twitter acquisition was confirmed Friday. Musk has, of course, famously called himself the Doge father, and many people are now wondering if we could see Dogecoin integrated into Twitter somehow. Ash, why such a a big move, and what do you make of this?
2: Uh, well, Nico, I think everything you said there is exactly right. Look, it, it's speculation time right now uh, with Doge. There's just no other way to put it. Uh, you know, it could be because of some unusually high volumes in terms of liquidations. According to CoinDesk, $90 million in Dogecoin futures were liquidated over the weekend, uh, with the majority of those being shorts, which are bet- bets, of course, against the price rising. Uh, In the past 24 hours, Dogecoin future liquidations were higher than Bitcoin and Ethereum futures uh, liquidations combined. Uh, So these liquidations have contributed to what appears to be be a short squeeze happening right now in Doge. Liquidations occur in an exchange uh, when exchanges forcibly close out a trader's position due to a partial or total loss of the trader's margin, uh, that's the cash that they or, or other securities that they post uh, to secure the position. It happens when a trader cannot meet further margin requirements on a leveraged position. That means he or she did not post sufficient funds to keep the trade open, Nico. Again, important to just recapitulate, we're talking about this on uh, on the short side, shorts getting squeezed out as the position uh, or the value of the token rises,
1: Nico. Thank you for that, Ash. And here's another story we're looking at. Reuters is reporting that Global uh, that Apollo Global Management, one of the world's largest asset managers, has begun offering holding crypto for its clients. New York-based Apollo has partnered with Anchorage Digital, which will be a custodian for Apollo's digital assets. Diogo Monica, president of Anchorage told Reuters, quote, it's the value validation of this incessant drumbeat that crypto is here to stay. Ash bullish news, what do you make of it?
2: Well, it sure sounds bullish. Look, this is all about the sort of infrastructure development that's happening in the space. uh, As more folks in traditional finance want to find a way to participate, they want to build these on-ramps. I I guess you could say it's an open question right now uh, about how much capital Apollo is going to commit. But on its face, it's a a, a bullish story, obviously, to see uh, these large traditional financial institutions wanting to build the on-ramps, wanting to have the infrastructure to be able to participate if they wish to participate and at whatever scale in the future they wish to participate. I think it's notable uh, that despite the so called crypto winter we're experiencing, we keep hearing about these institutions in traditional finance and expanding uh, their crypto services. You know, on this show, in the past few weeks alone, we've reported on BNY Mellon, Fidelity, MasterCard, and now Apollo uh, entering the crypto space in some measure. So clearly, uh, the current price of cryptocurrencies doesn't determine everything uh, in terms of adoption. Adoption appears to be growing, uh, and institutions continue to explore uh, different aspects of this space and really putting their money where their mouths are in terms of building infrastructure developing relationships
1: and partnerships to allow that to happen Nico thank you Ash and it's also worth mentioning that Anchorage became the first federally charted crypto bank in the US last year and we'll even have Georgia Quinn from Anchorage live on the show tomorrow Ash I know you're excited about that
2: yeah, Georgia is terrific. She's the general counsel over there and is uh, one of the people in the space who I think really uh, has the ability to explain to a general audience precisely the lots of the sort of legal technical compliance issues that are happening behind the scenes that can be challenges for building this infrastructure, that can be challenges for for hooking up uh, traditional finance institutions
1: in the crypto space. This can be a great interview, really looking forward to it. Likewise, Ash. And anyway, speaking of institutional adoption, this takes us to our next story. Co-founder of Ethereum, Vitalik Buterin, has shared his thoughts on regulation in a Twitter thread in which he called his take maybe controversial. Vitalik said, quote, I don't think we should be enthusiastically in pursuing large institutional capital at full speed. I'm actually kind of happy a lot of the ETFs are getting delayed. The ecosystem needs time to mature before we get even more attention. Close quote. Ash, what do you make of this?
2: Well, you know, Nico, broadly speaking, I've I've talked about this before. I think this is the most important story in the space right now. This is about the legal, regulatory, and compliance framework that's happening around things like AML, KYC. OFAC, all types of things, whether or not things are or are not securities. Uh, you know, we we seem to be in this, and we talked about this a little bit on Monday uh, of last week. This this period where it looks like there's a, an unstoppable force moving toward an immovable object. Uh, this is all part of that broader story. Uh, obviously, a lot more to come on this, but I just do address some of the specific points here. It sounds like Vitalik is saying, uh, be careful what you wish for. A lot of crypto folks want greater regulatory clarity. Uh, they want greater participation of institutional investors in the space so that there's more capital coming in. Uh, But the point that Vitalik is making here, I think, uh, is that with greater uh, regulatory clarity comes the potential for regulatory scrutiny. And there are some ideals uh, in the space that are obviously, for people in the Ethereum community, incredibly important. Uh, We're talking about things like censorship, resistance, uh, and uh, credible neutrality, all things that people in the space care very much about. This is part and parcel of that story. Uh, Vitalik's uh, comments as I read them are very much an extension of that ethos. Some of the things that have been said before and many of the things that you would see, I think if you went up to the space that the community and Vitalik in particular, I think value. I wanna just read this quote. Vitalik goes on to say that quote, regulation leaves the crypto space free uh, to act internally, but make it harder for crypto projects to reach the mainstream uh, is much less bad than regulation that intrudes on how crypto works internally. So obviously what he's talking about there uh, is a little bit of the balancing act that is being maintained in the space right now. He also expect uh, expressed cryptis, uh, skepticism about KYC, that's Know Your Client, uh, standards uh, for DeFi front ends. Lots more to see here, uh, and this is a story that obviously we are gonna continue to cover in a great deal of detail, Nico. Thank you for
1: that, Ash. And just one note Binance CEO CZ and FTX CEO SBF have agreed with Vitalik. Now, on to our final story before we speak with Sergey. More legal trouble for Duquan, the founder of Terra, which was behind the UST and Luna tokens and which imploded earlier this year and brought significant turmoil into the crypto market. He's already under investigation in South Korea and under a red notice by Interpol. Now the Wall Street Journal is reporting on another lawsuit that has largely gone unnoticed. The Wall Street Journal says Duquan is facing a class action of in Singapore for more than 350 investors. They claim they lost nearly $57 million from UST's meltdown. And it alleges that Quan made "quote" fraudulent misrepresentations about the stability of Terra USD. A spokesperson for his company denied the allegations to the Wall Street Journal. They said, "quote There is a fundamental difference between a public market event and fraud. The risks were publicly known and discussed, and the underlying code was open source." Close quote. The claimants are also seeking to get their money back as well as unspecified aggravated damages. We'll keep an eye on this story as it develops. But that's it for today's news. Now on to our main interview. Let's bring in Sergei Nazarov. He's a co-founder of Chainlink. Ash, very excited for this conversation. I'm going to dip to the back, listen in, and I'll be back in a bit with my key takeaways. Over to you, Ash. Thanks, Nico. See you soon.
2: Sergey, great to have you back with us.
0: Great to be back, thank you for having me.
2: Yeah, it's an exciting time. You guys at Chainlink are just coming off the SmartCon conference uh, about a month ago. It was great to see you in person, get to hang out a little bit, uh, particularly after we've all been under COVID house arrest for the last couple of years. Um, Sergey, I know you've been on the show many times and you've given sort of very deep dives. This is obviously a live show, a little bit shorter. For people who don't know, what is Chainlink? What is an Oracle and why is it critical to the functioning of the digital asset ecosystem?
0: Sure. So, Chainlink is the leading Oracle network. Uh, Oracle networks are Web3 services that allow more advanced applications. So, if you look at what DeFi is, it's actually a combination of blockchains and Oracle networks, primarily Chainlink. So, 60 to 90% of DeFi, depending on the category of DeFi, depending on the day, is powered by Chainlink Oracle Networks. And what they basically do is they do the computation that blockchains can't do, but that DeFi applications need to exist. Examples are aggregation of market data prices, uh, automation, basically oracles do all the computation that advanced blockchain applications need, but that blockchains themselves won't do. And that is a very large universe because what blockchains compute are basically private key signatures, token ledgers, and state machines. And so there's a lot of other stuff that needs to be computed in a decentralized way. Sergey, for 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 people who aren't technically oriented, I think of uh,
2: I think of Oracle as effectively as the software that uh, talks about the state that connects the blockchains themselves that have very limited functionality uh, to the rest of the real world and to other blockchains. In other words, anything uh, that isn't part of the core functionality, for example, of Ethereum, when you need to connect Ethereum uh, or other chains uh, to additional chains or real-world data. Oracles are this this connective tissue that pipes those things together and serves uh, to enhance or allow that functionality to happen.
0: Yeah, that's right. So that's a very common common use case right now for Oracle networks is they provide access and they validate all of the things that are being accessed so that they're reliable. So the guarantees of blockchains is that they create reliable computation about you know ownership transactions whether that's NFTs or tokens, or they create reliable computations about exchange of those tokens. If you want more advanced applications, you need more types of reliable computation. And that's what Oracle networks do. As you pointed out, many of those computations are about um, data. And uh, a lot of them are now going to be about uh, things beyond data, including uh, transactions between chains so that you can connect up multiple contracts into a more advanced application, a uh, kind of cross-chain. Um, so, yeah,
2: give us give us a very simple example of what something like that might look like.
0: Sure. So it it actually um, you know history tends to repeat itself. So if you look at the historical uh, context of Web two, you'll see a very similar transition that's happening in our industry now. So in Web two, you had monolithic or uh, applications. Then you had something called service oriented architecture applications where you connect a few services. And now in Web2, you have something called microservices. So the same thing is happening in our, in our industry now, where basically you're going to have multiple different parts of an application distributed across multiple different chains, just like multiple parts of a web application are distributed across multiple clouds, right? So like when you use Uber or Netflix, Uber and Netflix are never built on a single cloud. They're built on multiple services on multiple clouds. They're built across AWS, GCP, Azure, whatever internal systems they have. And this is the next stage. This is kind of the more advanced services stage of of the blockchain world. And those services is what Chainlink makes. So Chainlink makes all those different data services, computational services, cross-chain communication services through CCIP. And actually as um, infrastructure grows to the point where you can connect together many little pieces to make very advanced applications, that's when in the web world, you have historically seen a huge explosion in value, right? So if you look at something like Uber, Uber is really a combination of geolocation, a payment system, and messaging to the user and the driver. And all of those services initially for Uber were built outside. And so only when you can build all these things outside, can you uh, really make these more advanced applications uh, that define uh, the web, right? Things like Netflix and Uber now define the web, but really they are just combinations of hundreds of services. And now in the Web3 world, we're at a place where we've gone from a single contract on a single chain to multiple contracts using multiple Oracle networks and soon multiple contracts across multiple chains and multiple Oracle networks all connected into an advanced uh, set of uh, kind of DeFi 2.0 and other more advanced applications.
2: It's fascinating, Sergey, how this history repeats itself, how you sort of see the scaling of services, uh, the increasing complexity of services, uh, the cloud basing of services in Web 2.0, and now that following suit here, uh, as you describe it in Web 3. So let's talk a little bit about SmartCon, about some of the developments, the enhancements and partnerships that were launched there. Uh, for anyone who wasn't there, this is a very developer-focused conference. You guys have a real culture of code, a very passionate community. Uh, they call themselves Link Marines. I wanted to touch on a couple of the points uh, that you mentioned uh, there and some of the things that have been worked on, announced, uh, and that have been further uh, sort of extended in terms of your commentary uh, at the SmartCon conference. First, you mentioned CCIP. This is the cross-chain interoperability protocol. Talk a little bit about what that is in layman's terms for people who are trying to understand not necessarily the the underlying technology, but the but the functional use cases and what it can do for users.
0: Sure. So CCIP is a communications protocol, which means that it can allow systems to communicate between each other, um, which is a very broad and and wide ranging, you know, set of set of capabilities. So uh, just once again, to to put this in a historical context, in in the earlier days of the Internet, you had multiple different Internets, some of which were with different universities and some of which which were just private Internets. And those Internets didn't always talk to each other very well. And right. then you had something like TCP IP appear. And TCP IP is also a communications protocol. And now all the information on the internet is tra- is transmitted using almost all of it is transmitted using TCP IP because it's the way that that systems communicate. It's the way that they all become connected. Um, and for information technology, that's obviously very important because it's about communicating information. Even right now we're communicating visual and auditory information. Right. But, CCI- and, and, we're,
2: and We're doing it in a, in a similar way, talking about the aggregation of all of these services, uh, these layers of services that are stacked on top of each other, which allow us to open up an application, have a conversation just like we were talking on a, an iPhone, for example, and yet integrate it in a broadcast environment where we can stream this out all over the world.
0: Right, that's right. So there's hundreds of services that are connected across many different uh, you know, clouds and computing environments that are allowing this to happen right now. And that's happening through a communications protocol fundamentally. So what CCIP does is it creates a very basic communications protocol for the blockchain industry so that chains can basically communicate, so they can send commands to each other, so they can move tokens between each other, and so that you can actually compose cross-chain applications So what this uh, looks like practically is that even if you have a private key with value in one chain, you should be able to use an application on another chain. And that's actually a very powerful dynamic because you have many different communities with private keys that have value on one chain or another chain, but they can't use an application they want to use somewhere else, which isn't how the internet works, right? The internet allows you to use any part of the internet wherever it's housed in whatever cloud and whatever system. And what CCIP does is it allows that uh, connectivity to happen between chains and to create cross-chain applications. So, so the architecture of many applications, I think, will be a few different chains doing a lot of the compute workloads. There'll be one or two chains that are, chains that are considered particularly s- secure and the most sensitive parts of applications might live there. And then there will probably be a bunch of chains where people put up a kind of storefront that allows other that allows users to communicate with that application through that chain. And so you might end up with with uh, applications that just like they were previously um, not using Oracle networks, but now they use multiple Oracle networks to work. Now you might see applications that use multiple Oracle networks and multiple chains all at the same time either because they want the users of those chains to use the application, or because the app, the, the chain provides them a computational resource they wanna combine into their application. But, but CCIP is really at the core of how all of this uh, transmission of information and commands and tokens will happen. And uh, I think it's something uh, very exciting and important because it, it's just the tip of the iceberg right now with, uh, with token movements. Mm. Um, that's just the, the very beginning.
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Sergey, so, okay, as, as you start to describe this world of hyperconnected applications as you see it, what's the timeline that you think plausible for when this can start to become uh, mainstream, integrated in functionality? Are we talking something uh, that's a year away, three years away, five years away? How do you think about that?
0: our industry is fundamentally based on being secure so it's it's hard to predict exactly what it takes to create truly reliable security like the type that chainlink has for data where it secures tens of billions every day and it's processed it's helped enable over 6.5 uh, trillion dollars in transactional value just in 2022 so we we have experience creating security that can stand up over time so so with the one caveat that it's going to take time to create that security um, I think this initial dynamic I expect it to start taking hold more and more in 2023. So in the coming year, I, I imagine seeing more and more applications starting to become hyperconnected between chains, starting to become composed of multiple parts uh, on different chains, um, partly with the help of of, of CCIP. So the, the the goal for us is to get out early versions that we end up testing with with production uh, users for initial small subsets of use cases. And then we learn from that and the Chainlink community learns from that. And then we're able to make an increasingly secure system that can handle higher throughput, higher amounts of value, uh, just like we've been able to do that with the data side. right? So with the data side, there's over 6 trillion uh, enabled by just this year. We expect to pass 7 trillion this year in total value enabled by data put through the Chainlink Oracle networks and we wanna reach that same level of guarantees for CCIP, but that is a
2: process. Sorry to jump in, but um, I I know we only have a few minutes left and I want to give you a chance to touch on a couple of other points. Uh, First, the Deco acquisition, uh, and second, Swift. Tell us a little bit about what you announced uh, at the SmartCon conference on those two points.
0: So Deco is very interesting because it allows identity systems to interact with public blockchains that cannot keep identity data private. So the fundamental problem with putting identity information into inherently public systems is that the identity data becomes public and people don't want their identity data public. So you actually need something that'll allow the use of identity without disclosing identity data, without disclosing sensitive identity information. This is what deco successfully does with zero knowledge proofs. And it's very exciting because um, we see a lot of compliant DeFi coming from banks and coming from various other entities that want identity data as a way um, to basically become compliant and to become useful. And so regulated DeFi, compliant DeFi is something that needs identity data. And Mm. because blockchains can't keep it private, Deco is is the the method by which it can be proven but private, and so it's a real breakthrough Got in it. how category of data, specifically identity data, can become available. And just like right. market data allowed DeFi to blow up, we expect that identity data will allow larger, and larger amounts of compliant DeFi to come to life.
2: Yeah. And the key word there of course is, talking of which, let's talk a little bit about SWIFT. Uh, This is the the backbone messaging architecture uh, for traditional finance transactions. Talk a little bit about the projects that you guys are working on right now.
0: Sure, so we've successfully done one proof of concept with SWIFT that uh, that went very well. We did that back in 2016 and since then have uh, stayed in touch with them on a number of different initiatives. And now we're working through um, the early stages of a second proof of concept with them and multiple banks, where we are basically looking to use CCIP to connect multiple chains in the kind of banking infrastructure world, both with uh, public chains as well as private uh, banking chains. And, And this is important because collateral and liquidity will live on different chains, both on public chains and on private banking chains. But just like applications would like to have access to users, collateral, liquidity, all these things on, on various uh, public chains, private chains um, actually want the same thing between banks, and they also want access to public chains. So one, one of the things that I've seen um, after a recent trip to, to the Cybos Conference in in Amsterdam, it's the largest uh, financial conference in the world that we've attended a number of times. We've historically presented there. There was a presentation this year as well. Um, what, what I saw there that was very um, hopeful is that there's actually multiple, multi-trillion dollar asset holding banks that are making a uh, kind of crypto DeFi subsidiaries. And these crypto DeFi subsidiaries are wholly owned by those banks. And they are not, um, they're not just about custody. They are actually about interacting with public chains as mm. well as other private chain banks. And all of these uh, banks will need um, a system to utilize multiple chains. So basically what CCIP does in this context is it allows a bank to integrate with the chain link system and with that one integration to use 10, 15 or more chains. And what right. that does for the crypto environment, for the crypto ecosystem, is it accelerates the appearance of banks. And it accelerates the appearance of value from yeah. the banking sector, which has trillions, uh, hundreds of trillions of dollars in yeah. value. And while that yeah. hasn't been what's defined our industry, I think it's something that will have a very large impact once banks can join our industry. And that's right. what CCIP enables.
2: Well, you know, Sergey, many of the the threads here seem to intersect. It's about uh, the interconnection uh, of existing architecture, the expansion of services, the integration, and the sort of maturation of the space. You know, for me, one of the things that brought all of these themes together, and I thought one of the most fascinating parts of the SmartCon conference uh, was the fireside chat that you did with Eric Schmidt, of course, the former CEO of Google. You know, to me, being in the room, there was kind of this feeling of buzz and excitement about really interesting to watch someone who is as much of a a pioneer, a developer, a builder uh, of the web 2.0 world, have this conversation with you uh, about what the future of web 3.0 would look like and how those two worlds were beginning to integrate. What were some of your key takeaways uh, from that conversation uh, with Eric? And what do you think about that? And just about the overall sort of tone of that conversation of web 2.0 meets web 3.0, do you think is especially important to communicate to our viewers?
0: Um, Well, obviously, Eric's a very astute and thoughtful guy, and he has latched on to, I think, some of the core points of what's going on in our industry. The the thing that I would say in simplest terms is that as more things begin to move around, as the velocity of money, as the velocity of tokens, as the amount of information that becomes available on blockchain systems, as more chains become connected and value and transactions and the commands uh, interact between chains, the movement of value, the movement of information, the movement of commands across more and more systems, generally in an efficient, reliable, secure way, generally predates um, large explosions in what applications can do. And large mm. explosions in what applications can do then makes an industry valuable, then makes it allow allows it to provide value. So I, I think, in simplest terms, uh, the things that Eric and other people have started to realize is that moving things around is very important. Moving around information, moving around value, moving around commands. And that is what uh, Chainlink is at the epicenter of. It's at the epicenter of how do you move commands and information and value between uh, various key places? And how does that allow people to build more advanced applications? So the the dynamic of how the architecture of Web2 evolved is really not that different Um, Because once you see value be able to move, like in Web2, for example, it was the ability to use credit cards that gave birth to e-commerce. And what that was, it was about value moving from credit card companies into web companies. And and so the the more that value can move between systems and the more that value can move into Web3 systems, um, the faster our industry will become more needed. Because our industry does provide these critical guarantees of hyper-reliability. And as you can tell, the world we're going into is a progressively scarier world. And in that scarier world, I think reliability will be key. So I I think what Eric and others see is that a reliable world backed by Web3 guarantees is is actually where we all um, would like to end up.
2: Sergey, so, okay, I always enjoy these conversations with you because you're not just obviously one of the people in this space who's doing sort of bleeding edge work, but you also have the history and the context for understanding Web 1.0, Web 2.0, how we got to where we are today. And I think it's so important and helpful to people to understand your vision of where things are going in the future. With that, I also want to bring in uh, Nico Bruga back into the conversation. Nico, I know you were listening to that conversation and you have some key takeaways
1: for us. Yes, I do. It's everybody's favorite time of the day, so get those horns of blaring, the spotlights swinging because it's time for key takeaways. First, CCIP, Cross-Chain Interoperability Protocol, is a communication protocol for cross-chain communication and is fundamental to the growth of the space. When you reach the stage of different online systems being able to get linked, that's when the value explodes. Uber is an example of that. It's a platform that merges multiple different types of networks. Another way to think about this is in the past you had multiple different internets. They didn't talk to each other very well, but once that changed through PCOIP, the services offered by the internet exploded exponentially. Now we're seeing that for the blockchain through CCIP. Second, Chainlink acquired Deco because of its focus on preserving privacy and its work on expanding and compliant DeFi. And lastly, Chainlink has uh, struck a partnership with Swift, the global inter- interbanking payment protocol. Chainlink is working on integrating CCIP into SWIFT and CCIP will enable SWIFT messages to instruct on-chain token transfers, helping the interbank network to be able to communicate across all blockchain environments. All right, anything either of you guys would like to add? That was obviously a lot, Sergey. I'm always impressed by how much (laughs) you're able to pack in as I know Ash is.
2: I think that's. I think it's TCP/IP that uh, you're referencing the services yeah, architecture for the sorry. for the original one. But uh, but other than that, I just want to know. You know, we tried to do the uh, Sergey Nazarov cliff notes. Uh, anything that you'd like to add to that, uh, Sergey? Go
0: ahead. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's great. You know, I think our industry is in is in a place where it's still early, and if you look at the amount of value in the industries that it really affects, like the the banking industry, the insurance industry. Um, I think there there is still a huge amount of progress that can be made in getting that value connected into the blockchain industry and getting it flowing into various uh, decentralized applications. And so while everyone is very excited that we're at a trillion or two trillion, I'm I'm also very excited because when I was in the when I started in this industry, it was in the tens of millions. Um, but I, I think we we have we actually have zeros to add to that. And I think it's it's based on the um, the infrastructure, and it's based on the amazing developers building these applications. Uh, that uh, you know, I'm very grateful to know and, and have an opportunity to work with
2: Sergey. When you were first getting started in the industry, did people say to you, Sergey, why don't you you know go to work at Google, make some real money? Why are you doing this crazy thing?
0: Yeah, yeah, they did because when I got into the industry in in about 2010 2011, more and more they um, oh, there was only Bitcoin. And the only thing that right. people knew about, most people knew about Bitcoin. So I didn't even say I wouldn't even say I work in the blockchain industry. I would say I work in the Bitcoin industry. Right. And the thing that they knew about Bitcoin was that it was related to um, illicit or activity like dark markets. And so th- they thought that I was saying that I work in that industry, which obviously I don't, <laughs> um, and 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 didn't. But if if you can go from everyone thinking that you work on illicit stuff, it's basically it's it's basically all positive from there, right? So if if that's where you begin, and uh, you know, like the, the market cap of the thing is a couple of million bucks, and you have uh, people thinking that you're doing something illicit, then uh, from there it's all great. So it's 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 only going going wonderfully from here for me, basically.
1: Wonderful. And uh, I think, Sergey, that hopeful note is the perfect place to end it today. Thank you so much for joining us. I know we'll have you back in the future for another one of these. And that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe. RV Crypto is free, but we also have some paid content if you're looking for professional grade crypto research. Today is the last day when you can get two years for the price of one on our pro crypto subscription. Scan that QR code on the screen to find out more. And for those of you watching on YouTube, smash everything the like button, the bell, and subscribe. And join us tomorrow for our interview with Georgia Quinn from Anchorage. See you then at 12 p.m. Eastern, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.